This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Thank you for joining us. Uh, these are some unique times that we're going through right now, and I just want to show my appreciation to all the first responders and the doctors and the nurses and all the medical people who are out there working on the front line and helping to make sure that we get past this crisis, taking care of those who are sick in the hospital, and also give my sympathies for, for those who have lost their lives uh, during this COVID-19 crisis. We're all in this together, and we'll all get through this together. So stay, in, stay indoors and hang in there, and we'll get through this at some point in time, and we'll see the light of the day. So today, we're going to be talking about a number of different issues. We got one of our favorite guests on with us, Evan Lesser. Um, we are recording from our homes. Uh, as all of us are staying home. But today we're going to be talking about what's going on with security clearances, with background investigations, with with the process of government uh, during this time of COVID-19. Evan, thank you for joining us. How are things going on your end? You know, hanging in there just like everyone else, but um, uh, happy that we're able to do this, even if it's uh, in kind of unconventional method. Exactly. Definitely. Hey, thank you for taking the time. Hey, I know um, um, there's a lot going on with government right now with uh, uh, with the COVID-19 situation. What are you uh, hearing in terms of kind of clearance processing? Is this going to really kind of turn back the you know the clock of time, and we're going to go into a situation where uh, clearances are going to take much longer? How is the U.S. government dealing with this situation right now? Yeah. So. I think before COVID-19, you know, we're looking at roughly 400 days uh, for a top secret clearance and roughly Mm -hmm. 300 days for secret clearance. It it has gotten better over the last couple of quarters. The government has been able to reduce um, top secret clearancing, uh, top secret clearances down to roughly 300 days and about 181 days for secret clearance. So um, they've made some good strides in getting end-to-end clearance processing down. That's for the fastest 90% of cases. And, and while it's down nicely from roughly a year ago, most employers still can't hire someone from off the street and, and get them clearance. The end-to-end processing times are, are still uh, still way too long. Unfortunately, with COVID... And, and, and Evan, let me, let me ask, is that for your higher-level clearances, or is that even kind of kicking in with your secret clearance? I mean, is that for kind of your, like your top-secret... Um, your SEIs, is that for the, for the top level clearances or even for your most, uh, your minimum clearance, it's still taking that long? Well, 300 days um, uh, average for the fastest 90% is for a top secret clearance. Okay. And the 181 days is for a secret clearance. So okay. Okay. it's, it's down um, pretty considerably from the last year, but it's still too high. And unfortunately with COVID-19, the general consensus is that while clearance investigations will continue, the process is going to be slower and it's going to take a hint. Um, you know, fingerprints can't be done. Subject interviews that were previously done in person are, are going to video. The end result is kind of still unclear. Specifically on fingerprints before COVID-19, an investigation actually couldn't proceed until the electronic fingerprints were submitted. But the OPM um, and DCSA announced uh, just a couple of weeks ago that 
investigations are going to be able to move forward even if electronic fingerprints can't be submitted. Okay, okay. Hey, do, do you do you see or foresee any kind of technology solutions? Um, you know, I mean, of course, we're kind of going into a whole new phase of using kind of a, a technology and kind of working more virtually and remotely. Uh, do you see that that there may be, and of course, I mean, there's an integrity issue, right? Or kind of keeping things uh, to make sure that somebody's not being fraudulent. But do you see any kind of technical solutions that are coming on board? Are there any discussions on that? Well, you know, the, the biggest part of um, most security clearance investigations is that subject interview where an investigator is sitting down with a subject in person, you know, face-to-face and, and gathering information and corroborating information. So now they're doing that through video. And, and, you know, we could talk for a while about the difference between in-person versus video, but this is kind of the new reality that we're in. Right. For video interviews, um, they have been doing video interviews for a while, mostly for U.S. citizens that are overseas who are being uh, interviewed for a clearance or a clearance reinvestigation. So it's not necessarily new, but the, the quantity that they're doing now is, is dramatically in, in, you know, increased. Now, everyone is a teleworker, and the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency has authorized video teleconferencing for all subject interviews uh, for the time being. Um, hopefully, uh, later this summer, they'll be able to get back to doing them in person. But as far as brand new technology, no, nothing necessarily out there. But the fact is, is that now subject interviews have moved from in-person to video teleconferencing for all of those interviews. And it's definitely changed the, the overall dynamic. Um, hopefully, investigators will still be able to get enough information and get reads on subjects um, via video rather than doing it in person. Sure, sure. You know, as you can, you just kind of mentioned uh, the differences between the kind of the in-person and the and the video. Uh, what what have you heard, or what have you kind of found in terms of kind of the background investigators? Uh, what do they find that is is probably you know is, is there a preference, or do they see or you know, do they see certain things in the in-person interview that they don't see things in video? Or I mean, what what are the differences in terms of that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're sitting in front of someone. Um, you get that body language, um, you know, you, you can you know, fully understand um, who that person is. It may be hard to translate through, through video being, you know, kind of removed uh, mm-hmm. from the, that human element. And um, uh, background investigators who, who do these subject interviews are actually quite skilled and, and adept, and they do get trained on, on, uh, on body language and, and picking up on those cues. Uh, I think you know, nobody wants to have, no investigator wants to have their name attached to an individual who turns out down the road of of being a a security concern. But the reality is, is that this is where we're at and they're going to have to take place over video. Otherwise the entire process will just, you know, grind to a halt. And uh, the government's been making so many positive strides in reducing the, uh, the total number of people in the backlog and reducing the clearance processing times that um, if, COVID-19 were to turn that around, it, it would really be uh, uh, detrimental. So yeah, long, long answer to your question. They're just having to make do with, uh, with the subject matter interviews over, over video and, and read people as best as they can and, um, and hope for the best. You know, it, it, is, uh, it has the process now in terms of the number of investigators who are working on this. I mean, I know uh, Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency took over all this kind of process. 
Have they caught up in terms of the number of investigators they've got out there working in, in order to kind of cut this backlog down? Or are they still kind of trying to ramp themselves up in terms of, um, you know, being fully functional and fully operational? Where do they stand right now? Well, they're still hiring investigators, but they've got a pretty good number um, at this point. Um, the backlog, as you remember, you know, roughly a year ago, was up to 750,000 people awaiting um, security clearance um, or getting their periodic investigation. Um, now that number is down to roughly 200,000. Okay. So, um, it, it's, it's improved dramatically, and they surely want to keep it heading in, in, in the right direction. You know, for all the difficulties with uh, the coronavirus, the, the good news for an investigator is they can actually get more cases done over video quicker than having to drive all over uh, a metro area or in between a couple of states to, you know, talk to different people in person. So uh, there is a, a silver lining to what's been going on, and, and that's the fact that they can accomplish more subject matter um, uh, interviews uh, over video than, than doing it live and in person. You know, I wonder, I mean, you know, if, if this shows to, to, to have some promise in terms of maybe speed. I mean, of course, there is a concern about having that in-person interview and making sure that you don't allow someone who uh, is being deceptive to get, you know, get past you. But I wonder if this will kind of, you know, become a new norm in terms of kind of lowering the number of investigations that are being done or getting that backlog uh, uh, knocked out the way. I mean, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's entirely possible. I mean, investigators have been asking for years to, uh, to try to do more um, interviews over video. And, and again, as I mentioned before, they, they've been doing it for overseas candidates for a long time, but have always deferred to doing it um, in person. You know, I'm sure at the end of all this, um, a year from now, they'll have enough uh, numbers and stats put together where they can take a look at the end result um, of, of having to you know, go through these subject matter interviews over video rather than in person. And, and I'm sure that they'll make some determination as to whether this is something they want to try to uh, continue or whether uh, you just can't uh, get the same type of you know, information out of a person over video as you can in person. Uh, right. But I do know that investigators have been clamoring for something like this for a long time. So again, it's a silver lining, but I think uh, it's too early to kind of figure out how it will all shake out. Right, right, right. We got to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about the security clearance issues and how uh, the impact of COVID-19 is impacting our government and the background investigation and everything else. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's one of our favorite guests. Uh, he's from clearancejobs.com. He's the founder and also the director, uh, uh, president director. He runs the shop at clearancejobs.com. Uh, they're a, a website that where if you have a security clearance, no matter what it is, a confidential all the way to top secret, top secret SEI with a full poly, uh, you should be on that website uh, looking for jobs. Uh, we're finding out what the employers are doing, who's hiring right now, and what issues have to contend with. Uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access on the Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on the Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we have been talking about a number of different issues. We're talking about security clearances. We've got our favorite guest, Evan Lesser from clearancejobs.com. He's given us the lowdown on about what's happening right now with this COVID-19 crisis and what's going on with security clearances, 
with the security clearance employers, the government contractors, and all the different things that are happening with telework and everything else. So we're talking about that today. Uh, hey, Evan, you know, quick question and that, that I've gotten from a number of different people. Um, are the employers, government contractors, and the government, are they still hiring right now uh, during this COVID-19 crisis, or has that come to a halt? And if they are hiring, how are they doing so? Yes, yeah, Derek, most employers are still hiring. Um, we still have roughly 55,000 uh, jobs uh, publicly posted on the, on the clearance job site. Uh, we've had a handful of smaller employers say that they're, they're holding back, but the majority of employers are still hiring. After all, these are national security positions. This is not um, you know, something that can necessarily be, be negotiated or pushed back. You know, national security is, is of a different nature. Right. Also remember that um, government budgets have been um, fairly secured in, in place, DOD, intelligence agencies, Department of Homeland Security. Those budgets have been you know, fairly in place for a while for the next fiscal year. So it's different than the non-cleared sector. I, I know that you know, unemployment has uh, dramatically uh, picked up in the, in the uncleared world outside of government, but for national security positions, uh, a lot of things are, are essentially business as usual with regards to hiring. You know, when, when we take a look at this, there's a, of course, the stimulus package is, is being passed. Will any of that money uh, end up going into kind of national security? I mean, have you have you gotten any kind of sense or heard anything about, uh, I know, you know, there's there's money going into the pockets of, of U.S. citizens and, 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 you know, the pockets of the people. But of course, are there any uh, uh, agencies who will also receive some of these dollars in order to increase hiring or other things of that sort in the national security sector? Well, there's definitely been some contracts uh, that we've been uh, keeping our eye on that have come out over the last you know, three or four weeks, um, calling on um, defense industry employers to assist with everything from uh, logistics to building hospitals to uh, providing technology infrastructure to um, disaster preparedness, all sorts of different things. So, you know, again, hiring has definitely been at fairly normal levels. I really haven't seen much of a, of a slowdown for, for most employers. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting when you we talk about um, uh, money and, and finances, contracts are, are definitely out there, brand new ones that, that revolve around coronavirus. Um, but for a lot of the, the industry and national security, it, it's kind of business as usual. Okay. Um, you know, when, when it comes to this piece in terms of if the recruiters are still hiring, um, how are they doing so? I mean, have you got any word on that? Is, is, it, is it kind of how we're doing? Is it the video conferencing? Is it the, the, you know, the, the dynamics of kind of doing video interviews or phone interviews? Um, how is that process still taking place? So uh, thankfully, you know, most um, recruiters and hiring managers and, and uh, talent sourcers uh, while they may work for a company that's clear, they don't necessarily have access to classified information and they don't need it to do their job. So mm -hmm. um, hiring is definitely one of those kind of things that can take place at home, often does take place at home. Um, HR teams are uh, parts of the national security apparatus that can work from home on a, on a fairly regular basis. So they haven't seen too much of, uh, of you know, performance issues um, having to move 100% of their operations uh, from their homes. So uh, again, hiring is continuing at, at pretty good levels and there haven't really been any slowdowns due to everyone having to 
kind of relocate from offices to 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 homes. You know, and, and this, this is kind of a, a, a question that I've been reading through in the media. Uh, you've heard about the Zoom bombing. Has that impacted huh. uh, anybody on the national security front? Uh, have, I, have, I mean, I heard it has, it's been more impacting educational institutions and everything else. But have you heard anything impacting on the national security side in terms of the kind of the Zoom bombing? So I know the government's come out with some um, uh, requests to um, uh, national security professionals to not use Zoom due to some of the security issues. But, you know, from, from what I can tell, um, most government contractors and, and a lot of federal agencies um, are, are Microsoft shops. Okay. They've been using um, uh, Microsoft tools uh, for video conferencing, Skype, and, and you know, is, is, is the most common one. So haven't heard too much about um, uh, Zoom being an issue. Uh, most uh, government uh, contracting companies end up on Skype. Um, I know some use, um, use uh, Google um, Hangouts. Um, but yeah, uh, video interviews are definitely happening. Um, onboarding is happening. And a lot of it's just having to take place over, um, over video conferencing rather than uh, in person. You know, uh, there there has been some concern for people about the dynamics in terms of, like you just mentioned, about the number of layoffs, people who are uh, going to get behind on their bills, even even with the stimulus package, the $1,200 or whatever amount that will be uh, going to people's pockets. A lot of people are going to really get significantly behind on their bills. Um, for those who are either in government or government contractors, as well as those who are not and want to eventually get into this realm, how is that impacting? What's the, what's the guidance on that in terms of the kind of the financial concerns that people have out there right now? Well, thankfully, the uh, director of National Counterintelligence and Security uh, put out a statement over the last just a couple of weeks um, that advised agencies and also trying to reassure security clearance holders that any financial issues that come about due to the coronavirus won't result in a negative security clearance determination. Um, as you know, and we've talked about plenty of times, uh, financial issues are the most common um, concern around the um, adjudication criteria. Um, but security clearance denials have always been based on the whole person concept. Um, it means that a single issue, like a financial one, um, shouldn't you know, ruin your chances of getting or maintaining a security clearance. Right. So financial right. issues. Yeah. Financial issues beyond your control, like a, a global pandemic, um, are a mitigating factor in a final clearance determination. So the government jumped on that pretty quickly and said cleared personnel don't have to worry too much about financial issues causing their security clearances to be taken away. However, the guidance is that cleared personnel should still self-report any financial difficulties um, they or their spouses are having, including foreclosure, bankruptcy, liens, and, and similar things. Right. And then, of course, they should probably state that under that because of the COVID-19 situation, we're having these, my, my either spouse or whatever, or we lost income, and this is the result of. I mean, I'm sure they should report that as that, at that way. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Are we seeing any government contractors? I know you kind of mentioned kind of business as usual, but are we seeing any government contractors who are now having to lay off people because uh, is the government still paying out the money to these contractors, although work has kind of changed or are things still operating as normal on that level? It, it's, it's kind of weird and up in the air for sure, just like everything else that's going on. When you think about 
national security um, professions, there are a number of uh, cleared workers who can do work from home and, and be pretty productive because while they work in a cleared facility, again, they don't regularly access classified information. We, we're talking about uh, human resources is a great example of uh, a, a part of uh, industry and, and government where they can do work from home because they don't have to regularly access classified information. But on the flip side, there are national security workers who delve into classified information as a regular part of their, their daily work, and they can't get their job done at home. Um, you know, their, their homes are not skiffs. They have to go to offices regardless of, of the virus. So uh, it, it's, it's a weird world for sure, but some people are at home, they're getting their work done, they're still productive. There are a group of people that have to access classified information regularly, and regardless of the virus, they're gonna be going into their offices, they're putting themselves at risk, but they have to go into the office and work um, for, for national security. And then there's a gray area that's kind of in between, people who are not entirely sure if the work they're doing is um, uh, critical. Uh, they may occasionally access classified information, they may be able to do a little bit of unclassified work from home, but um, a lot of the work they have to do would take place in the office. And it's that middle ground where it's still kind of um, shaky and, and questionable in terms of how much work they can get done. Um, long story short, there haven't really been any furloughs in national security. There haven't been um, really uh, any layoffs. Um, if this continues into a second or third wave of coronavirus, that, that may be something else to uh, that, that may come up, but you know, national security roles are similar to um, uh, doctors and medical professionals and some of the uh, transportation workers and grocery store workers that are now deemed as, as essential. Right. And um, they, they have to continue their work. I want to talk a little bit more about the telework when we come back. We got to take a quick break. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He is the founder and director of uh, clearancejobs.com. It's a great site that if you're a person who has a security clearance, uh, whether it be confidential all the way to top secret, top secret SEI with a full poly, uh, it's a site that you need to be on. There are still government contractors and government agencies who are still hiring out there. And so they're looking for the right kind of talent. They're looking for people with security clearances. And so clearancejobs.com is a place that you should check out for sure. Uh, also some good advice on there as well. When we come back, we're going to continue to dig down deeper into how COVID-19 is impacting the security clearance environment and impacting national security and how our government and our government contractors are dealing with these issues right now. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. George on the Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we are talking about a number of different issues. We're talking about security clearances. Uh, we're talking about government contracting. We're talking about COVID-19 crisis. And we're talking about how do all these things come together and how do we deal with this during this situation right now? As we all know, we're told to stay at home. As we all know, we're trying to stay safe out there. We're trying to get past this pandemic and then get things back operational. But how do we cope with this situation in terms of national security and, and our different government contractors and government agencies kind of now being in a new environment where they have to telework, uh, uh, work out of virtual spaces and everything else and still protect our country and our interests. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's a founder and director of clearancejobs.com. He's one of our favorite guests, and he's given us the breakdown about what's going on in this environment. 
Evan, you know, we, we were kind of talking about, you know, the virtual dynamic now that people are now, of course, having to work from home. Um, how is, and, and, and I remember the days, and I'm sure you remember this time period when telework.gov came out. Do you, you remember that time period? when that yeah, whole, for sure. That for whole, sure. That whole push from OPM kind of came out. Uh, and I guess it kind of came out in, 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 in our predecessor years in preparation for a moment like this, although there's always been discussion about kind of virtual working uh, from home. But of course, how do our security clearance professionals who uh, have different levels of clearances and may, and, and as you mentioned, may have to access classified information and may not, how are they adjusting? And will there ever be a day that you can access classified information from home? I mean, are there, are there systems now being developed in order to, uh, pro- provide that level of protection from a remote environment? Yeah, so I guess to hit the latter point, the, the only cleared workers that are accessing classified information from home are extremely high-level um, uh, policymakers, um, uh, intelligence professionals, people that um, essentially almost have a, a skiff in their house, but those very, very few and far between. Before coronavirus, um, we were seeing... Uh, an increasing number of cleared jobs that allow for a mix of telework and in-office work. On the clearance job site today, we have just about 100 jobs listed that allow for multiple days per week of telework. And granted, while it's just 100 out of 55,000 jobs, it's, it's a start. With the current environment, I think the government fully now understands the need to ensure the national security apparatus can kind of flex to allow a larger number of employees to work from home. It's a challenge for sure. They've had kind of contingency plans in place. Um, a lot of it was kind of hypothetical, what happens in the event of a, um, a huge terrorist attack or some other act of God or something that would cause um, a large number of people to work from home from a large period of time, but they've never had to put those plans into action. They've run through testing scenarios and and uh, you know, kind of pontificated on, on how it might work, but only until three or four weeks ago did they actually have to put it into action. So there's going to be all kinds of studies that come out of um, uh, COVID-19 and, and telework for the national security apparatus and to try to figure out what has worked, what didn't work, where they need to make changes, um, uh, new ideas on how to solve some of the problems. One of the ideas that has been out there for a while, and it, it's kind of slowly but surely come about are the idea of uh, national security lily pads. And essentially it's a centralized telework um, uh, situation where a security cleared worker can check into uh, a centralized office. And rather than everybody commuting, you know, a couple hours a day to head into their office, they can commute just a few minutes to a centralized uh, location where a number of different people who are supporting a number of different projects can all get into a, a centralized office, do classified work, and um, you know, and, and kind of be separated from their normal work environment. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a, a, a ton of national security uh, lily pads, but I think that that topic is going to come back into um, conversation uh, post COVID nineteen to try to figure out if that would be a, a solution to. Uh, to solve some of these uh, these problems, you know, I, I, part of me wants to is wondering because you know we're in a new environment and and uh, people have talked about how you know as as much as this has been a horrible situation, 
um, they, you know, there also have been some unintended uh, 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 advantages to it, right? The environment is cleaner, right? The, uh, there's less traffic accidents. There's you know all these little things that are going on that people are starting to say, uh, "Wow, I can you know I can see the sky. There's no smog out there because of the traffic and everything else." Also, I wonder. Um, I would assume that because you know people are not using certain buildings all the time. I mean, you know, there 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 are probably some costs uh, that are being lowered in terms of kind of the work and that, or or even government contractors who have to pay certain bills because of high the high cost of maintaining buildings or this that and the other. Um, are those some of the discussions that we're kind of hearing? Do you think that maybe even after this is over? there may become kind of a new norm of kind of saying like, like you just mentioned the lily pads, but there, there will be more remote working or a push for that at some point in time. For sure. For sure. And, and again, I think it, it's going to largely depend on what's the total percentage of security cleared workers that have the opportunity to do remote work and, and how many simply just due to the nature of the classified information they need to access on a daily basis are going to have to go into to an office. But but you're right. I think um, there's definitely been some good to, to come out of all the COVID-19 um, misery. And, and that is to really put a, a new focus on how productive people can be working from home and uh, the benefits of, of national security by, by reducing um, uh, risk of you know, transmitting um, a disease or, or, or virus is, is surely something they'll, they'll take into account, but um, guarantee there'll be um, whole sectors of, of the national security apparatus that'll be taking a look at this to try to figure out how can we optimize workflows? How do we get more um, security cleared people uh, working from home? Who should have access to classified information um, and who shouldn't? Um, hopefully there won't be another culling of the workforce, but maybe they'll be able to take a closer look at, um, exactly what's required for people to do their jobs and come to some new decisions that may make the whole uh, industry more productive as a whole. Sure, sure. You know, uh, every time there's a, a new situation, there are some kind of security guidance that goes out to uh, those type of situations. Are, are there any kind of new security concerns that are coming up with the new uh, 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 environment that we're in with virtual working or tele, you know, remote working, teleworking? Are there, are there any concerns that are, um, that are arising uh, uh, with this environment right now? Well, considering it's it's all still so new and so many people are working from home for the first time um, either ever or in a long time, a couple of things have come out. The first is that you should not attempt to do uh, classified work uh, from home. You know, <laughs> right. your, home, your home is not, not set up for that. Um, public, you know, internet or, or um, homeowner internet is definitely not secure enough for that. So that's definitely something that it should be a given for most cleared people. But then again, we're, we're in an unprecedented time. Sure. Uh, the second would be um, uh, phone conversations. Um, you know, depending on where someone lives, they may have shared walls with, uh, with, with others. They may be um, in a place where it's definitely easier to listen in on, on conversations, um, apartment buildings or uh, condos or, or townhouses. Um, you have to watch out what you're, uh, what you're saying to people, especially if it regards national security. Again, you don't know who's, who's listening. Working in an office, you can head over to someone's desk, you can pick up the office phone, and you can talk to someone about classified information and know that you are safe. 
but using your personal cell phone to talk about you know, classified information with a, a coworker is, is definitely uh, a problem. And then last but not least would be uh, mixing personal and, um, and work information on the same computer. Mm. You may have a home computer, you may have a work computer, but information should never be um, uh, making its way between the two. All those things um, uh, are problems. Most security clearance holders kind of know that stuff, but they've really never had to think about it too much because, again, five days a week they're heading into an office and it's just it's not an issue. But and, and most times, even if they do go into a skiff environment, they have to leave their personal uh, items like a cell phone and everything else uh, in a locker somewhere, so they're not even right. into that environment, right? That's right. Yeah, they're they're leaving their their personal stuff in their car or or in a locker and and then going on the job, but. With so many people now working from home that have really never worked home, from home before, they've got to keep their minds uh, straight and remember that what may seem innocuous could actually be a, a security concern. Those are some all very, very good tips. We're going to be right back after this quick break. We're talking to Evan Lesser, and we're talking about a number of different things that are going on. We're in a unique time, of course, with the COVID-19 crisis. We're talking about how we're getting past it, how work is still going on with our federal government and with our national security apparatus, but how are we dealing with this right now? We're going to keep this conversation going. Where we, We'll be right back talking to Evan Lesser from clearancejobs.com. Uh, uh, you're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on the Federal News Network. If you're just joining us, we have been having a very interesting conversation, uh, very relevant to the times, about what's going on with COVID-19 and national security and national security hiring. What's going on with our government contractors? Uh, what's going on with security clearance investigations? Uh, what's going on with teleworking right now? We've been discussing all these uh, critical issues uh, that, that's happening right now in this critical time. It seems that work is still going on because it's the work of the nation, uh, but we're all adjusting in a certain kind of way, and we've been discussing it with one of our favorite guests, Evan Lester from clearancejobs.com. If you're a person with a security clearance, it's a great site for you to be on. Uh, a lot of great information, articles, and insight uh, about what's going on with the security clearance process and all the other areas, who's hiring. Uh, there are 55,000 jobs on the site. Uh, for them hiring right now. So it's definitely a good time uh, to be a person who has a security clearance in the national security sector right now. Um, Evan, you know, looking at a situation in terms of kind of background investigation and then kind of maybe reinvestigation and continuous vetting, uh, uh, what's going on with that right now? I know that's always kind of been a big thing with kind of the insider threat analysis and making sure that someone doesn't go from one uh, a thought pattern to another and become a threat. What's going on with continuous vetting right now? So as a part of um, the government's trusted workforce uh, 2.0 effort, um, they've recently um, revealed that continuous vetting uh, apparently is working and uh, it's been largely responsible for reducing the backlog of people awaiting clearance from roughly 725,000 um, roughly a year and a half ago, all the way down to roughly 200,000 now. Of that backlog, um, almost half of those people were simply waiting for their reinvestigation to go through. If, if you remember, the way that reinvestigations uh, have been done um, until recently is that every 5, 10, or 15 years, you were resubmitting your paperwork and making sure that you were still eligible to 
uh, to hold that clearance. With continuous vetting, the idea was electronic means would be looking at cleared personnel um, continually and making sure that they were still suitable to, to hold clearance. Any red flags that popped up would be reported and then they could be um, uh, investigated. So it's been going on for um, a couple years now and uh, the government seems to think that uh, continuous vetting has been um, successful. Um, it's doing its job, it's doing what it uh, was intended to do. So they're gonna be moving more and more people over to the continuous evaluation um, uh, program. Uh, right now there's about uh, roughly 1.4 million um, security clearance holders that are under uh, under the situation, so more and more are going to come. But it's an interesting um, policy development, and you know, in the long term, we'll see how it shakes out. But um, based on the last couple years of effort, um, it looks to be a successful uh, a successful effort, and uh, the government's going to double down on it. That is real good news. I mean, especially in terms of cutting down this backlog situation right now. So uh, uh, now, hey, with the, with this continuous vetting piece, um, I, I know that they were, you know, very very focused in on kind of monitoring certain things, whether it be a financial situation or a number of different. Are we going to see some new um, uh, uh, either technology being put in place? Um, uh, uh, some new questions that may come up on uh, SF-86 that they, will, that they will constantly monitor? Are we going to be seeing some things uh, changing towards those areas? I'm sure. I'm, I'm just not sure if we'll necessarily know about it um, or know about it anytime soon. Um, a, a couple of things I've heard talked about. Um, you can do some pretty easy um, uh, digestion of things like financial records and um, you know, uh, banking information and, and social media and, and things like that. Um, I guess the, the areas that I've heard more conversation about is using artificial intelligence to do what's called sentiment analysis. And uh, sentiment analysis can put together a bunch of different data and it can uh, essentially create scores that will let a system know whether a person is um, posing any type of risk based on the totality of information that's out there on them. It could be um, digesting their social media and understanding what they're posting and what they're posting about and combining that with financial information and combining it with um, uh, local, state, and federal databases and, and putting it all together and using artificial intelligence to try to make some kind of a, uh, a determination. I think that the first version of the continuous vetting system is fairly um, brute force. It kind of easily takes a look at the information and if one and one equals two then everything's okay if if something else pops up then a red flag appears but the, i think the future of continuous vetting is for it to be smarter uh, more intelligent um, use uh, technology to try to make determinations on behalf of uh, the system rather than have uh, uh, humans having to look through everything Sure. Hey, 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 Evan, is there any new guidance that's coming out in terms of uh, drug usage? I mean, I know that, you know, that's constantly being a conversation, especially with uh, marijuana becoming a lot more uh, of a situation of, of, of being either decriminalized or even legalized in certain states or certain areas. Uh, is there more guidance that's starting to come out about, uh, you know, that and the impact of that? Well, you know, under the current administration um, at a federal level, uh, marijuana is still uh, illegal. Security clearance holders 
um, should not be um, partaking uh, unless it's a, a health um, issue and they, they have you know signed documentation from a uh, from a physician to to use it. But um, I think until the next administration, you know, if it's a different one, we we won't necessarily know how uh, marijuana specifically will be treated for sure. security cleared uh, people. You know, it, it could potentially change if there's a uh, a radical change in legality of, of marijuana. As far as um, uh, overall drug use in general, uh, policies really have not changed. Um, years ago, there were some uh, relaxations in terms of um, uh, drugs that were specifically treated for um, anxiety and depression and things of that nature because they were becoming much more widely used. But uh, no, there haven't been too many um, uh, conversations of late about uh, drug use and security clearances. It, it's kind of the same as it's been for a little while. Okay. Okay. Good. Hey, you know, you, you mentioned 55,000 jobs. I mean, that's a lot of jobs out there. What, what are you seeing in terms of kind of the hot hiring scenarios right now? What's, what are some of the top, uh, 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 you know, kind of industries or sectors who are hiring right now for security clearance workers? Well, as always, uh, technology uh, beats everything out by far. A uh, huge number of jobs out there for um, uh, specifically for hardware, uh, cloud computing. The government continues to move uh, old systems to, uh, to, to the cloud, um, secure cloud. Um, I know that the, uh, the JEDI contract was awarded to, uh, to Microsoft not too terribly long ago, and that was a, a billion dollar plus um, heavily invested into cloud computing. Um, IT security is, as always, as massive as it will ever be. Uh, lots and lots of jobs out there for um, cyber attack, cyber defense, um, cybersecurity policy, um, cybersecurity uh, disaster preparedness, huge numbers of software jobs out there. Um, if anyone is uh, young and, and thinking about a future career, software is where it's at for sure. Um, IT support. Is, is, that, is that software development or, or, or what is that? It's across the board. It's software development, um, front end, back end, full stack, uh, database, everything you can, you can think of, um, web. Uh, so, yeah, software development um, is probably the single category with the most jobs that, that we have on, uh, on clearance jobs that require clearance. Uh, there's a lot of uh, non-technical jobs as well. Uh, plenty of jobs out there for logistics, management, uh, linguists, uh, security, trainers and instructors, um, law enforcement. So it's not just uh, IT and engineering, but as always, IT and engineering makes up a good 60, 65% of sure. those 55,000 jobs. Do, hey, do you see that? I mean, it sounds as if uh, 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 there's a growth pattern that's going on in terms of the, of, of the national security side. I mean, do you see that is going to continue to grow? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, uh, regardless of um, what happens with, um, you know, a, another administration, uh, government budgets for national security, homeland security, intelligence are still at record levels. Um, uh, I think, if anything, the COVID-19 has really brought to the forefront that uh, a threat can come out of nowhere and um, quickly uh, take over uh, national security concerns. Yeah, right. I think it'll open up a, a lot of eyes to um, everything from, you know, better prediction of uh, pandemic planning to um, emergency response to intelligence assets across the world to try to understand uh, what's, uh, you know, what future threats are. Um, 
COVID-19 has put a stress on infrastructure for sure. Right. Um, especially um, digital infrastructure. So yeah, I think there's going to be uh, quite a lot that's going to come out of uh, COVID-19 that's going to hit the national security sector. You're going to see all kinds of new jobs opening, new contracts opening, um, new ideas out there uh, from everything from telework to uh, emergency response um, to better securing uh, internet and infrastructure. And, and that's all going to hit the sector uh, for sure. As much as I hate to make this comparison, but it's, I guess it's kind of almost like a, a, a 9-11 situation where uh, much of our world changed right after 9-11 in terms of uh, national security and, and, and government contracting. I think this situation is probably going to be uh, an equivalent scenario about how much is about to change and, and what we're going to see in the future. Absolutely. And with um, unemployment um, suddenly picking up dramatically, um, the national security sector remains a, a strong, um, well-financed, and um, uh, almost future-proof uh, sector. So, I, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we'll see more people deciding that they want to get into this area because, uh, as you know, the total number of people with clearance has dropped over the years, and right. uh, national security industry desperately needs more workers. Outstanding. Outstanding. Evan, thank you for the insight as usual. Hey, next time, I know you got some new things that are popping up with the salary survey and everything else. So we'll hit that the next time that we talk and we get your updates. Uh, we appreciate you as usual. And hey, and stay safe out there. Okay. Do the same. Good to talk with you, Derek. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at one or subscribe to this show on iTunes or podcast one. This just in. Reportedly, pigs can fly. We're going live to... Can't take another crazy headline? Well, here's something you can appreciate. The MyGM Rewards card gives you best-in-class rewards with four points for every dollar spent everywhere and seven total points earned per dollar spent with GM, bringing you one step closer to a new GM ride. That's the power of appreciation from us to you. Subject to credit approval, terms and limitations apply. Visit MyGMRewardsCard.com. Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small-town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.